So we continue our series, uh, One Message, One Purpose, One Response. We, we continue that today by talking about that one response. And over the course of these last few weeks, it has served as an opportunity for us to be reminded about what our vision is, how God continues operating in our lives and through our lives, and specifically what we believe that he's calling us to do here at, at this church. So if I were to ask you this question, select three people who you would like to have over for dinner, who would be on that list? Three people. They can be living, they can be dead, whatever, throughout the course of, of your life or obviously beyond because if they're, they're uh, from long ago, who would be on that list? I want you to think about that for a few moments. Because those people, those individuals, speak an awful lot about what we consider important in our lives. I would imagine on some of your lists, there are, there's a family member, or perhaps two family members, or perhaps even as many as three family members that are no longer with us that you would wish to have some time with. Perhaps there is a significant historical figure on that list that you would like to hang out with and have dinner with. Perhaps there's some current celebrity that you find fascinating and you'd like to find out what they believe about this, that, or the other thing. But regardless of where it lands on the list, you'll notice this. There's one name that pops on to most everybody's list, whether they are a believer in Jesus Christ or not. And it's his name. It's Jesus Christ. He happens to show up on all types of lists, and, and I, have an, I have a confession to make for you today. Yes, I'd love to hang out with Jesus Christ. I'm looking forward to doing that sometime. I hope it's not real soon, but if it is, that's all right. You'll find a new pastor. Um, but, well, I'm just being honest. I mean, that's, that's what will happen, uh, you know. So, but, but my point is, he's phenomenal. But on my list, I'm, I'm assuming that I'll be with him, and, and, uh, and if, I were to, if I were to expand it to four or whatever, but, but I've noticed every time that I've asked this question, oftentimes I need to preface it with, you can't put Jesus on that list because he's on most everybody's list. And so if I take him off of my list, these are the three that come to mind. First off is uh, the leader of my favorite band, Bono or U2, Bono is his name, and it's not just because I love their music, but it's because I, I appreciate so much the efforts that he's put into finding a solution for, for third world debt, and how, how, how extraordinary it is to begin to move and help people that are, countries that are struggling so much with that. The second would be Dietrich Bonhoeffer, uh, he's my favorite theologian, hands down. And not just because of what he wrote and, and the insights that he gave into God's word, but also for the fact that he made incredible sacrifices, and actually he made the ultimate sacrifice by, by giving up his life as he fought against Adolf Hitler. He was even involved in an assassination attempt against Hitler that did not work out, and uh, that's what got him into trouble there. But Dietrich Bonhoeffer would be number two. And then number three would be a guy by the name of Ricky Fowler. Um, yeah, compare Bono and, and uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer. But Ricky Fowler, I think he has phenomenal fashion sense. Uh, I think he's a great, not just, you can scoff at me. I like bright colors. That's all there is to it. But Ricky Fowler, for those of you who don't know, because I'm seeing a lot of blank expressions, he's a professional golfer, for crying out loud. How could you not have a golfer on your list? 
but Ricky Fowler is a great guy. He, he conducts himself with great class in both victory and defeat. He could provide me some great golf tips. He's on the farmer's insurance commercials. If you if you wondering who the guy is, people say I look an awful lot like him because he's really good looking and quite charming. But he seems like an all-around great guy. Those three individuals, Bono, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, and Ricky Fowler, would be people that I'd love to hang out with. But like I said just a few moments ago, regardless of where you stand with Jesus Christ, he is the most prominent person that's ever taken a step on this planet. He has changed people's lives, and he continues changing people's lives. And so as we talked a couple weeks ago about one message and what that means as we seek to love God and to love people, and then last week we talked about our one purpose, which is as we go, we make disciples. Today we come to that place where we talk about that one response, where every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. I invite you at this time to open your Bibles to Philippians chapter 2, and if you have the Bible app, you can scroll there on your phone, but Philippians chapter 2, and we're going to read more than just verses 9 to 11. We're going to start at verse 5 and, and go down to 11. And Paul writes these words, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Father, we pray now as we come to this time of looking at your word, we would ask that your Holy Spirit would speak to each and every one of us, that you would open our ears that we could hear, open our eyes that we can see, Open our minds that we can understand and open our hearts that we would be transformed to be the people that truly, truly worship you, that we exalt you, that we lift you up not only in word but also in deed. And we pray, Lord, that no one would hear anything that I say but that they would only hear what it is that you want them to hear, that you need them to hear, and that you, Lord Jesus, would receive all glory. It's in your holy name we pray. Amen. And so we come to this rich, rich passage. We come to this passage that Paul was inspired to write thousands of years ago. And you'll notice what happens in verse 9, and it's a very significant thing. There is what I would like to call the one therefore. A therefore is there for a reason, and, and when you see the word therefore, whatever you're reading, you need to then go back up and see what's going on that led this person, led this author to say therefore. And so that's exactly what we're going to do now. What's important to realize as we look at this passage and as we go back and look at these verses, in Paul's day, idols were everywhere. 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 You couldn't go down the street without running into this idol or that idol. 
an idol dedicated to sex, an idol dedicated to, to harvest, an idol dedicated to vengeance, whatever the case may be, they were everywhere. And so Paul speaks into that. And also keep in mind, Paul is in prison when he's writing these words. Part of the reason why he's in prison is because he would not bow down to the Caesars. He would not bow down to those that said, you will bow down. And he says, no, I'm not going to do that. And here's why. It's because of what Jesus Christ has accomplished. Look at verses 5 through 8. He says this, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. So he's setting them up saying, if you want to model your life after somebody, if you want to see what's really important in life, you need to have a mindset that focuses in on Jesus Christ. And to have that type of a mindset when you interact with one another. And so he says, have that same mindset. And then what he says here, Paul's summary here, is so, of Jesus' life, is so memorable. He says this, he says, who being in very nature God. In essence, what he seems to be saying is, why should I bow down to these governmental figures that you're telling me to bow down to when they're not God? Why should I do that? He says, Jesus Christ, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used, and I love the way the NIV says this, to his own advantage. Jesus Christ could have used that to his advantage, but he said, no, while I'm here, while I'm walking among the people, I am going to operate in a way that that completely has me focused in on being a servant, because that's what it says next. He made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. He's comparing Jesus Christ, who came in as a servant, he's comparing him to all these government people that want to lord power over them. And what Paul is saying is, I'm following after the one who's doing the exact opposite of you. You want people to oppress you? and you want to bow down to them, that's not the way I operate. I'm following the one who became a servant, even though he is fully God. Then he says this, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Even death on a cross. Back in Paul's day, to be... To be, <clears throat> to be crucified was the most humiliating way to be killed. And Paul's saying, I'm willing to follow the one who put himself through the most humiliating of deaths. Yes, death on a cross. And Jesus didn't wake up one day and say, well, I've blown it to this point, now I'm going to go on a cross. He humbled himself. He completely became obedient. He was obedient from the day from, the, from day one forever and ever. Amen. He goes to the cross. He suffers this humiliating death and he stayed true the entire time. So everybody else can come at me and say that you need to worship this Caesar. You need to worship this idol. But I'm telling you, I'm not going to do that. Yes, I'm in prison. And part of the reason why I'm in prison is because I won't bow down and I won't acknowledge anyone else as Lord except Jesus Christ. This summary, this summary should grab us. This summary should do something to us. This summary should say, wow, what a Savior, what a Lord.
And that's what we have here. So when Paul makes this statement, therefore God exalted him to the highest place, we go back up, we see all this quick summary that Paul puts together. And as Christ's followers, we are to be reminded of this, that we are always to be about Jesus Christ. We're not to be about ourselves, we're not to be about this or that, we are to be about Jesus Christ. And so then we come to this verse, verse 9, Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. As I was working on the message this week, I thought, what is it about Jesus Christ that we are to be acknowledging, that we are to be worshiping, that we are to be so in awe of? And I'll say this, I think oftentimes... I think oftentimes we need constant reminders of what Jesus Christ has done for us. We have one therefore, and now I'd like to do what I call a one refresher. Because if you're like me, even though Jesus Christ has done all these different things, we show up on a Sunday morning and we think, oh, that's nice that He did that. I appreciate what He did. But what I want to do now is I want us to do some more Bible hopscotch. And the verses will be up on the screen here as as we go through these. And I'm going to take some time on some of them to, to talk about them a little bit more in depth. But you name an issue, Jesus Christ dealt with it. Just name an issue, He dealt with it. And I invite you to turn now to John chapter 9 and we'll take a look at what I'm talking about here. In John chapter 9... Starting at verse, <clears throat> excuse me, God bless you. In, in John chapter 9, we read about this an amazing encounter that he has with a man born blind. Starting at verse 1. As Jesus went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. After saying this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. I love how John does not go around the fact that this is sort of disgusting. Verse 7, go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means sent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing his neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. Others said, no, he only looks like him. But he himself insisted, I am the man. There's confidence there. How then were your eyes open, they asked. He replied, The man they called Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and wash, so I went and washed, and then I could see. Where's this man, they asked him. I don't know, he said. As you read through John's Gospel, one of the things that becomes abundantly clear is that every single miracle that happens in John's Gospel, more and more of Jesus Christ is revealed, and we're almost to the end of John's of Jesus' public ministry in John's Gospel. And so here's this man who's born blind, and Jesus Christ spits, makes mud, puts it on his, 
puts it on the man's eyes, the man now can see. What John is communicating here is this, is continue to have your eyes open, continue to have your blindness removed by Jesus Christ touching your life and opening your eyes to who he is because he is the light of the world. Jesus Christ takes care of blindness. Jesus Christ operates in such a way where the deaf can hear where he enters in and, and this story, and it's, it's in Mark 7, not Mark 8. I'm sorry about that. It's in Mark 7, verses 31 to 35. Jesus Christ goes up to this man, puts his fingers in the man's ears, and says, be opened, and the man can now hear. Jesus Christ not only heals the blind, he heals the deaf. And I want to invite you now to turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 17. This is one of my favorite stories in, in, in all of Jesus' miracles. And we pick it up in verse 11. And listen to what happens here. Now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. As he was going into a village, ten men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. When he saw them, he said, go show yourselves to the priest. And as they went, they were cleansed. One of them, when he saw he was healed, came back praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, rise and go. Your faith has made you well. A Samaritan. Ten were healed, but yet only one comes back. And for the Jewish people to have a Samaritan be acknowledged as a hero, as doing the right thing, it completely rocked the boat for them. But Jesus Christ enters in and Jesus Christ changes even the enemies of the Jewish people's lives. He enters in and he says, yes, this is a Samaritan, but yes, he deserves my grace. He is worthy to receive my grace and I give it to him now. Jesus Christ doesn't simply heal the blind and heal the deaf and heal lepers, but he also sets the demon possessed free. You want to read a great story. We looked at it the other night at our Thursday night Bible study. Luke 8, there's this demoniac who comes at Jesus, and, and, I, and I made a joke out of this because I don't think the welcome wagon in Gerasenes would really want this guy as their spokesperson. But Jesus pulls up in a boat, and as he pulls up in the boat and he's stepping on shore, this naked wild man comes out of nowhere and screaming at Jesus saying, Do not torture me. Jesus holds his ground and this man is set free. It's a phenomenal story. If you're hungry, Jesus will also feed you. There's one miracle that's, that's in all synoptics, and it's actually it's in all Gospels, and it's the feeding of the 5,000. That's how big of a deal this was. People were hungry, and, and let's take a look at the one in Matthew because I think it exposes us for who we are and it, and it shows us more and more of who Jesus Christ is. Look at Matthew 14 and listen to what happens here. He says this, we pick it up in verse 13. 
When Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. Hearing of this, the crowds followed him on foot from the towns. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and healed their sick. As evening approached, sorry, as evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, This is a remote place. It's already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. I love the compassion of these men. Listen, we know you've put on an all-day conference, Jesus. But we really are tired of these people being around here. Would you send them out so they could go get their own food? So often we're only interested in what Jesus Christ wants to give us. Forgetting that He has called us to share with others. Forgetting that He has given us what we need to help other people along the way. So Jesus, verse 4, 16 picks it up and he says this they don't need to go away you give them something to eat their answer we have here only five loaves of bread and two fish at least they're real at least they're telling him we're limited on what we can do and then jesus says verse 18 bring them here to me he said and he directed the people to sit down on the grass Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the people. They all ate and were satisfied, and the disciples picked up twelve basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. The number of those who ate was about 5,000 men besides women and children. I want you to notice a couple things. Not only did Jesus Christ feed all these people, but I want you to notice at two particular points in this story of what Matthew inserts here. He tells us that when Jesus landed, he had compassion on them. And then he does something, and it's sneaky what he does. He says this in verse 19, Jesus directed the people to sit down on the grass. Where else are they going to sit? That's all that's right there. Matthew is wanting to connect some dots here. And it's the most famous psalm of all. Right? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down where? In green pastures. What Matthew is saying here is, you know this psalm. You know this compassionate one that everybody raves about. The Lord is my shepherd and I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. What Matthew is doing here is connecting dots and saying, this is the good shepherd. This is the one who will take care of you. See, Jesus Christ is far bigger, far greater than anything else. So not only are they hungry fed, but then also the dead are brought back to life. The dead are brought back to life. Lazarus is dead. Jesus speaks into the tomb and says, Lazarus, come out. Lazarus comes out wearing grave clothes. Jesus says, get him out of those clothes. He is a free man. And then in Mark chapter 2, we read that sinners are forgiven. Jesus Christ does all these things. And this is simply, this is just a real rough list. But these are all different things that Jesus Christ has done. And there's one more thing. He rose from the dead. He rose from the dead. 
He didn't stay dead. There wasn't somebody that just said, hey, we're going to go in and give you CPR. Jesus Christ rose from the dead. And he wasn't mostly dead. He was all dead. And he rose from the dead. Why am I making a big deal out of this refresher today? Frankly, it's because we forget how awesome and wonderful and phenomenal Jesus Christ is. We just do. We just do. Jesus Christ is greater than any of the greatest philosophers. He's greater than the greatest teacher. He's greater than anything else. And yet, so often we sit there and we want to think, well, I'm just going to come up with a clever quote and put it on a t-shirt because that's really a cool thing to do. Or we give him a passing thought. Or we sit there and respond and just say, well, I'll write a check to the church because that's what I'm supposed to do. We'll give him a couple hours of worship on, on a Sunday morning in a spiritual formation class. And, and, and we sit there and we just think that that's, that's all we need to do. But folks, I submit to you, there is no greater person, there is no greater name, there is no greater anything than Jesus Christ. And because he's done all these things, it, 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 it commands, it demands some type of a response. And it's that one response. That every knee shall bow, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. This should motivate us. This should move us. But yet so often, so often, we're not moved at all. We think that anybody could do this stuff. But he's the only one. He's the only one, and it demands some type of response. Oliver Cromwell was a military and political leader in 17th century England. He sentenced a soldier to death and ordered that the soldier be executed when the evening curfew bell rang that night. The soldier had a fiancé and she went and pleaded for her fiancé's life, but Oliver did not budge on his decision. He said, my decision is final. There's nothing you can do to prevent this from happening. And so this fiancé decided to take matters into her own hands. And so before the curfew bell was to ring that evening, she climbed up the bell tower and put herself in between the bell clapper and the bell so that when the rope was pulled, the bell would not make a sound. After many attempts to ring the bell, the ringers checked why it wasn't making a sound, and they found that the soldier's fiance they found her bruised and bloodied from stopping the clapper from hitting the bell. Oliver Cromwell heard what had happened and was moved by such, this, such a sacrifice that this woman made that he pardoned the soldier from being executed. When you love someone, there is a response. When Jesus Christ loves us, and not when he loves us, because he loves us all the time, it elicited, it moved him to respond, it removed him, he saw the mess that we were in, and he entered in. 
He didn't stay on the sidelines. John tells us that he came and tabernacled with us. He lived among us. He didn't stay on the sidelines and say, wow, I hope they figure things out. No, he came. He lived among us. He did what he did because he cares so much for us. And, P, and, and Paul, as he looks back, he says, he, he summarizes Jesus Christ's life, and he says there, he says this, Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The name, the name represents the entire person's life. As, G, as Paul looks back at Jesus' life, he says, this name, this one, this one who did everything for us, he deserves all praise. He deserves all honor. And there's something more going on here. As Paul connects more dots. And Paul knew the Bible. He knew his Old Testament really well. And this particular event that Paul's alluding to had been referenced for a long time, and it's been a long time coming. Listen to these words from Isaiah chapter 45, starting at verse 18. For this is what Yahweh says, He who created the heavens, He is God. He who fashioned and made the earth, He founded it. He did not create it to be empty, but formed it to be inhabited. He says, I am Yahweh, and there is no other. I've not spoken in secret from somewhere in a land of darkness. I have not said to Jacob's descendants, seek me in vain. I, Yahweh, speak the truth. I declare what is right. Gather together and come. Assemble, you fugitives from the nations. Ignorant are those who carry about idols of wood, who pray to gods that cannot save. Declare what is to be. Present it. Let them take counsel together. Who foretold this long ago? Who declared it from the distant past? Was it not I, Yahweh? And there is no God apart from me. A righteous God and a Savior. There is none but me. Turn to me and be saved, all you ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. By myself I have sworn, my mouth has uttered in all integrity a word that will not be revoked. Before me, every knee will bow, and by me, every tongue will swear. They will say of me and Yahweh alone are deliverance and strength. All who have raged against him will come to him and be put to shame. It's been a long time coming. It had been prophesied for hundreds, not thousands of years, that there would be a Savior. And Jesus Christ came and did what only Jesus Christ could do. There's no other name. There's no other name that's greater than the name of Jesus Christ. There's no other name that brings about salvation in a person's life than Jesus Christ. We have one message. It is to love God and to love people. We have one purpose, which is as we go, we make disciples. And it's because of this, it then moves us to give one response that at the knee of Jesus, every knee should bow and every tongue confess that He is 
Lord. A person by the name of Dr. Adrian Rogers said this, and I think it's a powerful quote. To explain him is impossible. To ignore him is disastrous. To reject him is fatal. My speech is too limited to describe him. My mind is too small to comprehend him. And my heart is inadequate to fully contain this one whose name is Jesus. He changes lives. He's changed people's lives in this room. He's continuing to change people's lives, not only in this room, but outside these walls. See, he's the one. He's done all this. He's healed blind people, deaf people, mute people, lepers, demon-possessed people. He's brought people back from the dead. He's reached into sickness and he's rescued them. He's reached into the oppressed and given them freedom. He's done all of this. And how can we not respond? So I ask you this morning, how do you respond today? How do you respond today to this one who has done it all? How do you respond? Father, we pray now. As we consider our one response, Words escape me, Lord. Because of what you did for us. Have mercy on us for the times that we only give you a passing thought. We think that you're only some great teacher that has some great philosophies. There's so much more than that. Your name is higher. Your name is greater. Your name is stronger. And oftentimes we respond so... so absent-mindedly. Forgive me for those times that I've done that. Have mercy on us for those many times that we have not had the same mindset as you. And Lord, I'm so grateful that you break into our lives and you awaken us and you say, I still care. I'm still on the throne. And you still invite us to respond. We're broken, yet because of Jesus Christ, we're redeemed. We're forgiven. And Lord, for those in this room that don't know how to respond to you, 
have yet to place their trust in you. I ask that you would move in such a way that they would say there is no other response than confessing you as Lord and worshiping you as Lord. Continue to work in our midst. And Lord, we long for that day when every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Bring that day quickly. And until that day comes, may your grace carry us through so that we would live lives that truly worship you as our one response. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So many of you have asked me already, what's the deal with the post-it note in our bulletin? Well, here's the deal. I'm going to ask the the worship band to come back up now as we're going to sing a couple more songs. And on that post-it note, what I want to invite you to do is as we sing these songs, to write down how you praise Jesus Christ for what He's done. And then come forward and place them on the cross as an acknowledgement, as a response to what He has done for us. And so we invite you now to stand up, and if it's going to be a while for you to stand up as you're writing, that's okay. But as we sing these next songs, we invite you to come forward and put that post-it note on the cross.